Welcome to the Table Dallas podcast. At the Table Dallas, we create a sacred space to worship, connecting our stories with the story of God as revealed in scriptures. We invite you now to listen to this week's discussion. All right, to the Table Dallas, we're glad that you're with us on this almost, can we say almost chilly October morning. I see some some vests, some sweaters, Um, even though last week it was 96, I guess it feels nice to have some 50, 60 degree mornings. So we're glad you're here up at the beautiful Bill Street House or wherever you're joining us by podcast around the world. We're glad you've taken the time. We're in, we've actually reached the midpoint of our study of Kohelet. Kohelet is a Hebrew name for the book you're probably familiar with called Ecclesiastes. That's the Greek name. So Kohelet, we now have made it all the way to the seventh chapter, but I thought we would pause here at the beginning to kind of get a, a, a sense, a reading of where you are. Remember, we've talked about wisdom literature. Wisdom literature is meant to be dealt with slightly different. Well, each, I should stop and just say, every genre of scripture has a unique way uh, that we approach it. And wisdom literature is really about how does it impact us? How does it hit us? How does it make us feel? How does it, how do we react to it? So we've had basically six weeks of listening to the quester, this gentleman who is uh, this, this character who is, who is looking for ways in which to find meaning and satisfaction in life. All right, and we spent six weeks now dealing with his, um, his thoughts. So if you were to kind of um, share your own feelings about, you know, where do we, how do we feel now halfway through a study that's um, been, shall we say, a little bit difficult? I mean, wisdom literature is difficult, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So who wants to, uh, who'd be willing to share a little bit about how it hits you or your response and reaction to it? I would say I feel more reassured, thinking that you know you can feel certainly and, and not be counter to the Bible because you always hear them rejoicing as well as someone who wasn't always rejoicing. So I don't feel bad about it. So you feel like you can identify with some of what he's suggesting and you're like, oh, well maybe the lightning won't strike me. Exactly. Okay, gotcha. All right, good. I like that. What else? Six weeks in. that God has put in my life, uh, whether that be uh, my time, money, material possessions. Um, it's hard 
it's hard not to get wrapped up in all this. He talks about hoarding, you know, um, and, and so it really kind of put things in the right perspective when it comes to what God has given us, what to do with it. We need to be reminded of that, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Anybody else? I know some of you have been in and out with travels and stuff, so it's kind of hard. But overall, <laughs> if you were to give a word to describe the first six weeks, what would it be? A word to describe how you feel about the text. Frustrated. Phil. I know you have one, Phil. <laughs> well, the word that just popped in mind, it's not the way I feel. It's like hopelessness almost. So we've had a sense, a little bit of a sense of despair, hopelessness. Remember one of the themes has been vanity, vanity, all is vanity, everything's like a vapor, right? Good. Other words. Frustration. Frustration, you get you you hear a lot of frustration in his writing. Okay, good. What else? He seems to be depressed. <laughs> Me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's gonna necessarily change today. We'll see. Uh, halfway through. Anybody else? Words? Perspective. From me perspective. Oh where? Oh yeah. Okay. I was like, where do I I'm looking over here? I was like, I heard there it is. I was like I couldn't see you behind screen. I was like, what is that? pressure of having to do all these things. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was, like what she was alluding to with the, it's okay to feel this way, that you feel like you're not being blasphemous, yeah. you know, that you can question these things. But also, he's being used as the extreme example of, he's had so much money. Right. And I don't know everyone's situation here, but I'm going to assume probably that the, this person has more money than far more <laughs> money than any yeah. of us could ever, yeah. you know, yeah. for the time. You yeah. know, that he had all of his needs met and he added extra things like, because there was one scripture where it said um, about he even had musicians or something yeah. to entertain him. Yeah. And I'm always like, if I won the lottery, <laughs> I would like have a full time. A strolling. I would have like someone just playing, <laughs> playing the piano all day for me and I'd have fresh flowers everywhere. But anyways, that's, that's my but, but this is the freedom from... You don't need to strive for all these things because it's you're going to actually probably be more miserable. Yeah. So so there's a freedom in the perspective of his extremeness of what he represents. Yeah, I got that. Yeah. Joylin, Ruth, Ruth, Joylin. Yes. <laughs> trying to get everyone to. We all have to. Learn. We're never going to do name tags, so don't even ask. <laughs> We're going to learn each other's. Gotcha. Yeah. Anybody else? All right. So to this this morning, um, we're gonna we're gonna shift gears and move into chapter seven. And if you have your handout here, you can also access it um, online. If you want to use the Church Flare app, it's in the message section. You can click on the link and it'll download it to you digitally if you'd like that. And the one online has all seven weeks in it. Uh, today's is um, Kohela chapter seven, the first twelve verses. And you'll notice that. Um, uh, some of you who are new or just you're visiting with us, the miscellany, which is um, our way of saying, um, I guess it's the proper way to say, what we're reading is a mashup. It's a raw translation of the word, so it, it may not be, it doesn't follow exactly um, what you might be familiar with if you have an NIV or CEB or something else. Um, 
but I felt like mashup sounds like a musician, and I'm not that, so I'm a writer, so miscellany sounds better, so we'll do that. Um, and like we do, we want to read it out loud, so if someone would read it into the record for us, it's Kohelet chapter 7, the first 12 verses. Consider these old proverbs. A good name is better than an expensive perfume. The day you die is better than the day you were born. Funerals are better than parties. Death is unavoidable, so you'd better take it to heart. The wise mourn with those who mourn while fools just want to be entertained. It's better to be rebuked by the wise than flattered by fools. The laughter of fools is like the crackling of thorns under a pot. Wisdom depends on a measure of good fortune. Broken by poverty and illness, even the wise become fools. But riches don't guarantee wisdom either. Wisdom is just as easily destroyed by greed and bribes. As a result, no one is safe from, idios from idiocy until they're dead. This is another reason why ends are better than beginnings. Patience is better than anger. So don't be easily provoked. Fools specialize in taking offense. They love to play the victim. Also, don't be that fool who runs around yelling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Once upon a time, the world was good. The old days were so much better. The world is about to end. This is nonsense. There is nothing new under the sun. The world is as it has ever been, full of hungry, selfish, ignorant people who can't see what's right in front of them. Wisdom, like a windfall, can be good if you find it. It can help you see things for what they are. It can help protect you from your own foolishness. But even wisdom has its limits. This is the word of the Lord. I love it when my translation gets laughter. It's not, no, it's, it's a really interesting piece because... Um, the quester uh, is doling out, like my grandmother would say, he's doling out a good old heap of old-fashioned proverbial wisdom. But it doesn't sound just, it, it doesn't necessarily make sense um, as we first read it. I was listening as you read the first six verses, Mike, and people were chuckling. So um, we should probably spend just a little bit of time here at the beginning and looking at some of these um, pieces of proverbial wisdom that feel a little, at least to me, they feel a bit odd. All right, so he starts by telling us that a good name is better than expensive perfume. All right, what do you think he means, first of all, by a good name? And then why do you think he considers it better than, I think expensive perfume is like something extremely valuable in that day and time, right? So, like, expensive perfume usually meant in that time, like, a dowry. Like, the, you know, this is what you would get as a dowry to take care of your, yourself should your husband, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, it's something of great value. Which is interesting, because I didn't see it as value. I saw the perfume as covering up. I saw that as, yeah. it's going to mask what's actually un underneath, that you look beautiful on the outside, but it's really masking what's on the inside. Ooh, I hadn't thought about that, right? You had some thoughts on that? I had the same thought. That yeah. The perfume is used to, uh, not just, it's used to enhance your desirability. Yeah. So you're saying my Tom Ford is a waste of money? <laughs> no, it hides the smell. <laughs> yeah. 
think, but that's great. I, will, I did not see that, that wrinkle at all. And that's what I love about wisdom literature. It hits all of us differently, right? Well, I think that's a very valid approach. I kind of look at it as a perfume is something that's fleeting, that will only last for a little bit. But your name, in theory, if it's good, it'll last for forever. Unless it's top four. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, that's your reputation. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That. yeah. That reputation. Yeah. So a good name is your reputation. And that's more valuable. It's not fleeting. Go ahead. So it reminds me, I know growing up, my mom would always say, remember what your last name is before you leave the house. And remember who you represent. So there was always forefront in our mind of how we were to behave and act when we were out. And say, and I say that to mine, your last name is Starks, and there's an expectation that comes with that. Mm -hmm. But it's just reinforcing that people will know who you are based upon what you do and how you carry yourself in your word is bond. So when you say something and you commit to something, that you are adhering to those commitments. You need to write that book here. <laughs> Grandma's <laughs> wisdom. Yeah. Yeah, she has a great Which is... Um, which is the easier of the two to acquire and maintain? The good name or what's represented by the, the expensive perfume? The perfume. Yes, the perfume. Why? It's easier to get <coughs> physical things than it is to conduct your life in such a way that you will have a good reputation with all. And when you have stuff, you, if you run out, you can go get more. But a bad reputation is hard to overcome. It follows you the perfume wears off. It seems like there's a, it's an easier choice to have a, a good name than the choice of pursuing the, the, per, the expensive, valuable perfume. You have a choice. I we think saying we need to choose that. Right. We need to be the kind of people who would rather have that. It's like right. one of the few yeah. things we have control over is your reputation. Because we don't control our wealth always. Right, because he said it several times, Some right? Wealth is a gift from God, right? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. I think about what the good name of Jehovah, mm. what, I mean, from the standpoint of the Israelites, what gave him a good name was he was the person that was faithful to the God. Right. Kept his right. Versus Israel, but just yeah. went without a whim, whatever they want. Yeah. But notice how his proverbial wisdom takes, I'm going to call it an abrupt, dark turn. Is that fair? An abrupt, dark turn. <laughs> just saw Stuart went, whoa, that's dark, right? So, because um, he gives us some, some more thoughts on birth, death, and dying. Okay, he says, they die is better than the day you were born. How could the day of death be better than the day of birth? In other words, how are we supposed to understand the idea? I mean, I know we chuckle at it, but uh, go ahead. In the Jewish mindset, death is simply just stepping into... It, it, it's a door that you go through you know, to, to life. You know, another life now. Whether you, I, there, there are merits that you get to work on and stuff like that, even on the other side. But it is better than being here. 
Okay. Because you are closer to the Lord. You're in presence, okay? Yeah. All right. I think it also may have to do with the day that you die, you have you have acquired some knowledge, some wisdom. When the, when the day you're born, you literally know nothing. Like that's a that's a long road that you're gonna have to travel, right? Okay. Well, he later, he says that, that that's where you're safe from idiocy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's just something to be said for that, right? It's like, yeah, then you don't have to look like an idiot anymore, essentially, right? Well, and he's repeated that concept over and over, you know. It's like the dead of that baby's never born. Exactly. Right? I mean, that's the whole idea of if you're dead, you don't have to deal with all of this. You don't have to worry about your name anymore. You don't have to worry about your wealth anymore. Yeah. Okay, like death is a period. You're done having a trial, but when you're born, that's when you actually have to start working. Mm-hmm. Okay. All my trials, Lords, and we'll be over. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Is it possible that it's just him making a provocative statement? <laughs> I think so. I mean, just because I mean, when I try to connect his initial statement of um, a good name, and then the latter part of the paragraph where he talks about wise and fools. I mean, over the course of our lifetime, we reveal ourselves to be fools. And I wonder if, like, that's why he's provoking with that. It's like, when you're dead, you stop being foolish, and you stop revealing yourself being foolish. I, I get it. I mean, me personally, that's the sense I got as I'm trying to communicate um, the a language that we're not familiar with, right? So you're, you're kind of like, okay, what's he exactly trying to say there? But Death is there. I mean, it's it's a constant theme. You know, it felt it feels like it's it's really on his mind. I don't know if that's because the quester is in this point is getting toward the end of his life. Because remember at the beginning we talked about it. It's kind of like the 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 movie The Princess Bride, where you have the grandfather who's sitting next to the bed who opened it in chapter one, who's going to close it in chapter twelve, and in between you have these characters. And I you know sometimes I wonder if you know in the storyline this quester has really got toward the end of his life and he's realizing I don't have that much more time left and so I'm going to pass on some of what I've learned and maybe even some of the things that still drive me crazy and he does seem to be focused on that piece right he says also that funerals are better than parties so, I gotta hear this one yeah so because I was I didn't want to jump ahead so Stuart retired from the military this past, this past year. <laughs> Thank you for your service. <laughs> so, so as a lieutenant colonel. So we had a really big, amazing ceremony at the armory back in January. And oh my goodness, people from the whole 27 years of his career were all there, um, even coming from bad weather. But the point is that I kind of whispered to Stuart, I said, you realize you're getting a preview of what your funeral would have been like. <laughs> everybody here, you know, and we knew we were, we didn't know we were moving at that point. But now it's like all those people that we'd spent all this time. And so I assume that that's the implication. It's like at a funeral, everybody's awesome. When they're dead, they were like, they hung the moon. But you were still alive and you were awesome. So, and then you got to hear everyone tell you how awesome you were. You know, and a party is just kind of trivial, and, and whatever happens, happens. But but the focus of a funeral is to celebrate, you know, someone's life. So That's a thing now. You know this, right? Funerals before funerals. It's like a thing, right? 
anticipate Yeah, so that you get to see the people that are going to come. Like, why come after? It's a thing. It's a thing. Anybody else any ideas about why funerals are better than? I'm losing it here, aren't I? Funerals better than parties. Join. Sorry. I would think because funerals, you know how to act. Yeah. Parties. So I feel like the, all of these go back to this idea that like when he's talking about like a good name is better than the perfume, um, what you what carries on is far more important than what is like temporary. Mm -hmm. So with the funeral, like, everyone at your funeral can take something from that and it'll carry on. So it's, like, this idea of, like, ongoing, like, the day you die is better than the day you're born because it opens new opportunities. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's excellent. That's really excellent. That sense of, of doing it. He pairs now the superiority of funerals over parties with a reminder of the unavoidable nature of death, right? We all know that we're mortal, and that mortals, as mortals, eventually we die. But he says we ought to take that to heart, the fact that we're mortals, and we're going to all end up where, you know, pushing up daisies, whatever phrase you want to use, all right? So what, what do you think he means by we need to take that to heart? Like, do we not already realize our mortality, or is that something that is fleeting, that comes and goes? Ray's giving me the... Yeah. Comes and goes. <laughs> I think we have those mortality reminders every once in a while where you have, like, near-death experience or something like that, but then most of the time you're just kind of plodding along in life, not thinking about, you know, the, either the legacy that you leave behind or that name. And sometimes you just want to avoid thinking about that because it's unpleasant. So yeah. you can just like shove it. There's always that future that you have no no real knowledge of when it might end, but it, you feel like it's a long way away and you've got all these opportunities to experience life. But as you get closer to the time that most people die, you start thinking about your death and how there's only so much time left. Right. And the, you have those uh, lists of right. things you want to do. Get that bucket list or yeah. whatever else. Yeah. And I think there's also a sense when you're younger you can you feel as though you can you can make some mistakes and you have time to recover from them, mm -hmm. right? You know you can you, no, but <laughs> but I think there's a sense in which many of us think that way, right? Well, you know, I you know I could recover from that, which may or may not necessarily be true, right? Any other thoughts on what he means by what or exactly what we're to take at heart? Like our mortality, what does it mean to take our mortality to heart? I think about in the earlier chapters when we were talking about when we talked about hoarding things, so you're you're keeping things instead of doing what you're supposed to do, and 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 so when you're living as if I can take it all with me, uh, and then recognizing that at the end you amassed all of these things that mean nothing at this point. There's nothing you can do with it, or 
someone else is going to enjoy it when you're gone anyway. Yeah, it's that classic line again, right? You've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. So he asserts, though, also at the end there, that grief is better than laughter because, he tells us, sorrow softens hard hearts. Am I right? Oh, that was my, my, oops. You missed the wise. The wise mormon, those who mourn, um, and while fools just like to be entertaining. My notes are wrong. It's okay. All right, anyway, somebody was getting ready to say something? Sorry? Yeah, I, I was kind of going, uh, like, verse 3, to me, goes back to a Yom Kippur kind of thinking, where you, that, that day is, is a very intense day of, uh, well, there, there is a lot of chest beating, gently, please. Uh, but, but a lot of repenting and sorrowing for what you have done through that past year. And by doing that, then there is a, a release. By the end of the day, there, there is this, you know, I, I have done my best that sounds funny. I've done my best to sorrow. Mm -hmm. I, I've, you know, I have really, you know, been very intent before the King of Kings to repent and be sorrowful for what I have done throughout the year. And there is that release. That that, you know, it, it does lead to laughter later on. Yeah. You know. I'm realizing how much we still have to do. Let's look at uh, <laughs> let's look at seven through twelve. Um, the quester turns his attention to wisdom, wisdom, and he makes several bold assertions. So let's start. Out. What are what are those bold assertions about wisdom? It depends on good fortune. So first of all, it depends in large part on good fortune. You have to be lucky to be to be to have wisdom. Interesting. Yeah. What else? What other assertions? Even the wise become fools. Sorry again? Even the wise become fools. Yeah, so poverty and illness will break the wise and potentially turn them into fools. That's an interesting assertion. Okay? You could be wise, but then poverty and illness. And greed and And Yes, exactly, right? And. Any other assertions about riches and wisdom? But just because you're rich doesn't mean you're wise either. Correct, right? Riches don't guarantee wisdom either because, as Holly just said, it can be destroyed by um, easily by greed and bribes. So when you read those assertions, then he makes a conclusion about wisdom and death there at the end of verse 8. What's the conclusion and how are we to understand it? <coughs> Ends are better than beginnings. Okay. <clears throat> you're not safe from idiocy till you're dead. You're not what? You're not safe from idiocy till you're dead. Okay. Well, I, I read the, the good fortune does not, the word fortune in the first sentence isn't necessarily wealth. It's good opportunities is at least how I kind of read that because he specifically says just because or the, but riches don't guarantee wisdom. So he's breaking up the difference between the, the financial piece of that being the wisdom versus opportunities to learn. Yeah. 
I mean, how do you, how does that last, how does that conclusion make us feel? I'm, I'm not safe from idiocy, Rhonda, <laughs> until I'm dead. How does it make you feel? Oh, I mean, that's always, the whole thing has been like, what's the point, kind of like, you know. <laughs> it does make you feel, I mean, there is a sense, right? Like, okay. Like it's going to happen to us all? Anybody else have any feelings? What does it feel like? His conclusion. Well, if we just be the fool and not realize I'm an idiot. Because <laughs> usually the fool doesn't know they're a fool? Is that what you're saying? No. Yeah. yeah. Well, Somebody was saying If you're dead, you're safe from idiocy, essentially. Don't make those mistakes anymore. You're not, you know, you're okay. just kind of locked in. <laughs> All right. It's almost like he's saying that wisdom is just not a natural state for humans, but it is idiocy and ignorance are. So yeah. <laughs> when I look at good fortune, that's what I, I'm thinking. You know, wisdom depends on a measure of being able to overcome your natural state. <laughs> yeah. I would say he's saying that being an idiot is inevitable, so don't feel bad about it. No offense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> idiocy is inevitable. inevitable, so don't, don't feel bad. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure we've actually got at what he's trying to say here. I don't know. Right? And I think the wisdom is fleeting also, right? You can be wise, yeah. but you can go right back down, but then you don't have to stay down. You can learn from that again. So to me, it's kind of this roller coaster, and so you're constantly ebbing and flowing yeah. in that state. Yeah, you don't, even he said, he said, he's been saying all along, right? Wisdom is like vapor. Even wisdom is like vapor. You have it for a moment, you think you have it, and then you're like, I'm an idiot, <laughs> right? Because you, you know, you, you, you know, that's just what life is like, right? But I want us to look at, um, he's pretty straightforward. The quest is pretty straightforward now, 9 and 10, right? In, especially in verse 9. He says that patience is better than anger. We would all sign on to that, right? Patience is better than anger. Why? Because you're responding instead of reacting. Yeah, responding instead of reacting. In anger, we tend to just react, uh, um, and we want to respond properly. So with patience, we hope. Right? That wisdom kicks in and does all that. We got that, right? We all know that we should not be easily provoked. Why? Because fools specialize in being taken to offense. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good. Yeah, or we, you are the person you're taking offense of. Exactly. So, and he says something about, uh, what does it say there about... Um, uh, uh, playing the yeah, the playing the victim thing. So my question was, I kind of hit on that one. I was like, what is it about playing the victim that we humans enjoy so much? Because you want to get people on your side. You want to amass support from other people. So, so that it doesn't it. seem like you're alone in whatever the situation has happened. Okay. Or it's reflecting my... responsibility. Yeah. It's okay. And it's a way of taking mm -hmm. control. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's easier to deflect than own it. Mm -hmm. So when you're the you're when you're the victim, it happened to you. It happened to you. Gotcha. Me, and I don't have to own it then. Yeah. No. I didn't. I didn't it's play a part else, in it. Okay. Somebody gotcha. else's fault. Okay. What do we gain by playing the victim? <laughs> kind of self righteousness. Okay. Yeah. Potentially. Okay. A measure, a, a, at least a false measure of control over, you know, okay. 
Well, well you, you escape blame because mm -hmm. you're blaming someone else. You're like, it's not my fault. They do, but it's not me. So when we look at verse 10, he basically says, don't be that guy. We all know this person, right? We may have been this person at times, right? We all, he basically says, don't be this guy, right? Don't be the one who's constantly walking around saying, I've been wronged. The world was so much better back then. All of that, that's, that, he's basically giving you the victim language that he just described. But what do you think of his conclusion? Right? Don't be this guy because the world as it is, as it has ever been. First of all, do, do we agree with that statement? The world never changes, people never change. Was it the same? Is it the same today as it was back then? Is human nature the same? Human nature is the same. Maybe the world and circumstances might be different, but our nature is still the same, right? He says, his conclusion is, though, the world is as it's ever been, full of hungry, selfish, ignorant people who, I almost translated, who can't even tie their own shoes, which is kind of the idea in the, it's a Hebrew idiom that I'm trying to give you a sense of. All right, so I'm going to say, who can't see what's right in front of them. If that's his conclusion, and you go about life with that as your conclusion, uh, how does that affect how you live your life? The sky is falling. <laughs> the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Well, you might not get as disappointed in people constantly if you just assume everybody's hungry and selfish and you might not constantly be surprised. So you, so you can live with lower expectations and not expect, okay, I hadn't thought about it that way. That doesn't feel comforting to me, but it's, I understand it. I think it would be hard to trust the world. You would, wouldn't you always be like, sure about that person or that thing. Wouldn't you always constantly be, I mean, what? That would be exhausting, wouldn't it? It seems like he's justifying being blind to the needs that are right in front of him. Okay. He enjoys being miserable. <laughs> <laughs> she, she said he enjoys being miserable. He said being blind to the needs in front, it could be also blind to the blessings. Mm. Right. Uh, that the answer is right there, but you're not you're not okay. wanting that answer. You're not wanting that. You're wanting a quick fix or a. I think Macy's just stuck there, afraid to move. So when you can't see her in front of you, you don't know what can happen next. You don't want to move. So you're paralyzed. Exactly. I think it ties back to what he says at the very beginning of the passage that. Good names better than perfume. I mean, if I were to tie back to you know this particular verse in ten, you know that the world is always. I mean, the world lost its good name a long time ago, and there's no reason for us to think that anything has changed. It's and I don't have any responsibility for making it any better. Yeah, because it's just the way it is. So yeah. can't change anything. Nobody has any expectations of me. Yeah. 
And what what little bit, what my little bit going to do when right. basically the world's a bunch of idiots walking around? <laughs> walking around hungry. Yeah, say again. Walking around hungry. Yeah, hungry and yeah, looking. I'm the only one who's smart enough to realize it. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that that is the quester's stance. Yeah. He's the only one smart enough to see it. Yeah. Yeah, no one else has quite gotten there. Now he does say, interesting, as we kind of wrap up this section, and I want to get to the to the uh, gospel application thing. He says that wisdom has a limit. He says first that wisdom is a windfall, which again is another way of him saying, like, you know, only a few people get it, and you kind of have to be fortunate to, you know, to have it. A windfall is something like you you got something that you didn't earn, right? A windfall is that what? Or you didn't expect. Or you didn't expect. Maybe you, you could have earned it, but you didn't expect it. I guess I suppose that's true. Um, but what are wisdom's limits? That's an interesting phrase. He says even wisdom has its limits. What do you think he means? What are some of the limits of wisdom? Because you think you're so wise and you're so smart that you miss all the other opportunities. Because you're so focused on being the smartest and brightest in the room that okay. you don't have an opportunity for others to speak into your life or to speak into the situation. So, if I understand you right, so wisdom is limited in his in its ability to give you meaning and purpose and fulfillment in life, which has kind of been his theme from the beginning, right, Dan? Uh, wisdom can also be undone by all the idiots around. <laughs> I mean, you could be doing things with wisdom, but due to the folly of other idiots around, could easily undo any of that. That's true. Wisdom I know that he would not do well as a motivational speaker. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> not to win friends and influence right. people. Yeah. yeah. And, as, and as soon as you think you you know everything or you're you, you are the wisest, that absolutely shows you that you're the fool. You know what I mean? Right. Always, there's always things to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, these wise proverbs that he refers to may not. Well, they don't. They don't apply in every single situation. So you may think you've got the answer for every single situation. And even these wise admonishes have their limits. That's true. You know, wisdom is so situational to me. I mean, I've had this debate with my son, who's a professor at a university. Is it, you can be extremely wise in one situation and be a total idiot in another. I.e., you take the country bumpkin up in Alaska who's trying to survive versus the college professor that's got all this knowledge, and you put him, who's the wise guy at that point? <laughs> the country bumpkin that you, you add on. Yeah, so it's situational so much. I think you're right. And I think that's, that's the thing I was thinking about is how so much of this is lacking any relationship and community. Right. It's all about one person, me, by myself. He seems so lonely. And so that's why I want to, and I, I want us to transition for the last few minutes we have together. We've not done as it's my fault. I'm to take the lead. I'm the leader here. Um, getting to the individual, city, community, gospel application piece, because I think this is important. Like, so the the whole point of these opening verses of the chapter, I think, if I wanted to summarize it, is basically live your life in light of your last days or of your mortalities. Like, think about the fact that you're not going to live forever. You know, you have to gate, you know, there's a part of life that um, that we we need to recognize wisdom's play place and being wise and having a good name, all of those things. Um, my question is, how should having a good understanding of our individual mortality 
impact the way we live today. Like, like we know we're all going to die one day. Full stop. How should that, what are some ways that should impact how we live, us individually, today? I always think it's important to cherish the moments that you have, like with the people that you care about. Cherish the good moments. When I think about those things, it, it helps me to remember to cherish the good things. I like that. Go for your and I don't quite know like how each person is supposed to feel, but I think what the guy who wrote this is trying to say is like think more, like be wise and think more towards what can I do to change? Like like think bigger than <coughs> now, like think gotcha. bigger. Think it, think bigger picture. Yeah, like so after my death. May, like maybe like after my death, what can I leave, or like okay. what can I affect while I'm still here? Gotcha. I like it. Yeah. What else? Uh, and he already proved earlier in the in the book that living like there is no tomorrow doesn't mean go party, go do all that because that still ends up being meaningless. So there's something beyond and more than that than just living my best life. Yeah. Any other thoughts? It puts life in the perspective of eternity too. I mean, all this focus on death. Well, like you were saying about the death is just the gateway to the to the eternity, to the rest of the what's real. So everything here is you know, kind of temporary, meaningless. No matter what you do for here, but. What for me, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, so what we're doing here and now, thinking about how it how it affects yeah. things. Yeah, I like that. Uh, for Phil and I, it's like, don't put off doing the things you enjoy doing now because in a couple of years you might not be physically able to do those things. So celebrate and enjoy the opportunities, yeah. Because he, he missed out on a lot of that because, some. oh, Chris said it, um, and I love this, this community piece. I think... This is my assertion, and then you can push back if you don't agree, but my assertion is um, being part of a faith community is a wisdom windfall. Yeah. <laughs> You're all laughing at me like, what? what? Why are you laughing? What's so funny about that? Like, being part of a community, I'll back it up. To be part of a community is a wisdom windfall in that you're in relationship with people who have in, who have experienced things who are wise. Don't give me the lip. I think being an active part. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. But no, I think I, I I'll push back a little bit. I think that when you're a part of a community, whatever community it is, that people you 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 kind of drift on each other. Like, I mean, I know there's some people who hear the wisdom and they're just like, I'm not going to do it. I agree with you there. I'm not suggesting that. But I think there's a way in which we as a community um, have the opportunity, right, to um, maintain, help each other maintain, and use this wisdom windfall to our advantage. So my question is, how do we do that? I mean, how, I mean, I know it's, I know some of this is like, oh yeah, the wisdom of Phil and Brenda like wears off on me as I'm getting older and I'm thinking, you know what, I love the fact that they're traveling. We love to travel, 
It's like, I hope one day we get to the place where we travel before we can't hike you know, the seven 11,000 foot peaks, right? Or whatever the scenario is. But how is it an advantage to be a part of the community? Because we're seeing, we've already identified, right? One of the reasons why he's struggling is he apparently isn't not he's not well he's not in a community that's going to tell him it's lonely at the top <laughs> which we've identified that before he's at the top who's going to tell him anything other than what he wants to hear right. we see that and he pays these people probably to be there too so <laughs> but i mean do we take advantage of this wisdom windfall i think wisdom is understanding that there are people wiser than you are and setting back and, and analyzing and looking at the results of what they're experiencing, what they've experienced, what you've experienced. And even when you think, well, that doesn't seem very wise, and you look and they're like, well, their children actually turned out pretty doggone good. <laughs> you know, even though I don't agree with that particular, you know, sit back and really look at it, you know, and, and be able to say, Maybe I'm the fool here, you know. And they were really wise. In a community like this, when you can be open with one another and just go, is that really how you feel or is that really what happened? Even in a bad community, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people, the church takes a lot of hit right now, you know, from the younger people. But even back when I think of our worst times in church community, there were things that I picked out of that that were extremely valuable to me at that point in time and, yeah. and well, now. Yeah, and yeah. even if you are in a bad community like Phil says, you can learn what not to do. You give me that book from the chapter, Don't Let This Happen to You. Right, I mean, I mean, you even see that in the smaller communities like a family community where the younger sibling doesn't <laughs> do older what one. the older sibling did because they gained that wisdom. I don't like what happened there. From the mistakes, or they get smarter yeah. and hide it better or something. <laughs> Definitely hide it. <laughs> I think I just remember that from your talk yes. the other day. Um, I also think that in, when you're in a community, an active community, that you're allowing people to speak in and to your life. And I think that permission meter, being that I allow you to tell me when I'm wrong, I may not like it, but I know that you're telling me truth and love, and you're coming, you're you're coming from a point of good intent. I assume good intent when I'm in this community, and someone is saying to me, where I don't always assume good intent in other spaces that I may be in. That's true. That's true. I think every small group from church, from the church that I was a part of, that I've been in. I've gained some wisdom from whoever was leading or teaching, but also a lot from just the group members who I've had individual relationships with, with within the group and sometimes outside the group, and it's very valuable. Just think about the wisdom that's represented in these four tables. Okay. Yeah, I, don't remember, I, I just remember what my dad always told me and my brothers when we were teenagers. You know, when you get to be a teenager, your parents don't have as much control on you, or influence, for that matter. Now you're at school all day, and you're with your friends, and and he, he used to just always harp on, you become like the people you hang around with, whether you want to or not. And so when you're in a community like this, and I'm going to 
push back on a little bit on Johannes here. Whether you're active or not in the community, you're still getting that influence somehow. I don't know how, but it, you are influenced. You are the sum of the five people you're closest to or something, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. be around wise people instead of fools. Mm -hmm. My mother would say you're the average of all of your friends. Okay. Something like that. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I think about the, the values that. I mean, every Sunday we repeat, you know, you know, to listen, to not judge others. And I mean, I, unfortunately, you know, one of the traumatic effects of the fall is death and this idea that we have that we don't need a relationship either with God or each other. And, you know, I, I really like what Phil said in that I think it would be really easy for me to be very judgmental to people that were very impactful in my life but the truth is they left an indelible positive mark and they were flawed people. And we are flawed people. And we get we tend to look around and say, like, oh, the world is ending, you know, all this stuff. And he's like, well, it's always been like this. It's like, how are you going to be? Um, so and that's what Jesus did, right? I mean, Jesus could have said, You guys are all screw-ups, you're on your own. <laughs> but instead, he made the choice. To come down, he made the choice to become a carpenter's son, not even a king's son. And you know, yeah, that's why I like the fact that we repeat those values in the beginning of the church every Sunday. I think it's also important to realize the difference between knowledge, intelligence, and wisdom. There is a difference. I've seen some very, very bright people that when it comes to wisdom and the decisions they made, in my opinion. <laughs> All right, excellent. Good work, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Table Dallas podcast. We invite you to join the conversation at one of our upcoming tables. To learn more about us, please check out our website at thetabledallas.com. And remember, we're saving a seat for you at the table.